It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. All right, Bengals fans, it's time for the Locked On Bengals podcast. It's Tuesday. Well, we're recording on Monday, but you'll hear this on Tuesday most likely. Today, Joe and I are going to talk about quarterbacks on the Cincinnati Bengals roster, give a look at the current positional stock, and we're going to get through a little bit of news, as always, before we start. Remember to tell your smart device to listen to podcasts Locked On Bengals when you get in your car. For a really easy way to just tune us right into your Bluetooth speakers when you get going in the morning. Or if you're going home from work, that's fine too. We do have some unfortunate news this morning. And it's another update on Mark Walton. We learned that he was arrested in January, about a month ago on January 16th for marijuana possession in Miami. So that's two arrests for Walton now in the last month. Yeah. It's news. I don't have much to say about it. I mean, he's looking at a suspension. I don't see any reason to really keep him on the team. It's another opportunity to make a statement if you're Zach Taylor along with Vontez Perfect. So, you know, do with him what you will. I, I don't really care too much either way. Marijuana is on its way to decriminalization, but right now you can't do it in the NFL, and he did it. Hey, 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 hey. Smoke weed every day. Unless you're in the NFL. And he is and got caught. Not a good look for Mark Walton. Probably the uh, nail in the coffin for his time with the Bengals. Yeah. So moving on, Albert Breer wrote a little bit about the Super Bowl coordinators that became head coaches. And he talked a little bit to Zach Taylor about the defensive coordinator search. And the answer that Breer got was that You know, there's no real urgency. There's no real rush. We're going to get the right guy in here, and that's what's important to us. Obviously, that's some coach speak. There is urgency. There might not be a rush. But I did think it was interesting that there was an emphasis placed, again, as we've heard, of getting the right guy. It would be nice to get a little bit more detail about what's going on, but Fletcher Page's report last week did a great job of highlighting who said no to who and why. So again, there's no real news there, unfortunately, for us to talk about today. What was interesting to me in that piece, though, was uh, it talked about what Zach Taylor has done since he came into Cincinnati. And again, this is reiterating some of what we already have heard from him, but it sounds like he's spent his time focused on reviewing the roster. He's just gotten through film, and he has an opinion now on every player, 
on the team that they have tape on. He's reiterated his stance on Andy Dalton as a guy that he believes is going to be able to learn the offense quickly, praising again his processing time, his ability to get the ball out quickly. So again, more praise for Andy Dalton. This has been a theme. But, you know, I would like to see a little bit more urgency. He talks a little bit about free agency, too. He says, you know, we need to improve the team in the draft and free agency as you will with any team. And it'll be interesting to see how his vision of free agency aligns with the Brown families. And Duke Tobin, right? I mean, because we've talked about that theme this offseason of Duke taking over officially or at least cementing that idea that he's the GM. Uh, yeah, I I didn't think there was a lot there to, to pick through other than it looked like Taylor is almost kind of just trying to cool the fire a little bit and get people to relax. Made it seem like it was mostly his decision on most of these in terms of he's looking for the right guy. And that's expe- that's what I expect him to say. But um, the more he says it, the more I kind of believe it. And I kind of, if I want to get excited, I think, well, maybe he's going to try something different or try something crazy. Or he wants some someone that's willing to do something cutting edge on the defensive side. Now, I don't know what that is. But someone asked me this, and I had a conversation on Twitter. And they said, well, what if he wants someone that's going to run, you know, a uh, a four one you know, with a safety uh, at linebacker, or um, you know, keep a dime defense more, or a three man D line and three linebackers, a three three five, and I'm like, okay, yeah, all that. What what if is, that is the case? And he's got to find a specific guy that's uh, willing to to go a little radical on defense in in a in an era that really sees the defensive side of the ball behind the offensive side. That would be the best case for me, too, is is that he is doing something cutting edge. And I guess we need to hold out our reservation or hold out our judgment until we see what it is that his approach to free agency is, what is what we see from the Bengals on the field. We really have no idea yet. So we're speculating uh, as we do. That's all we can do. Uh, one other interesting note in there is that he did mention he's leaning on the couple of defensive coaches that are in the building in Ron Livingston and Durante Jones, the current defensive backs coaches. That's where he's getting his input on the defensive side of the ball right now. He has had a daily film session. That's the first thing he does when he gets to Paul Brown Stadium, apparently at six in the morning or something like that, according to Albert Breer. He's had that film session with Brian Callahan. So he's working very closely with Brian Callahan, as you would expect. One other interesting note was that they feel like they've brought in some some different coaching backgrounds to the West Coast offense on their coaching staff with Callahan and Taylor. And is Van Pelt a West Coast guy, would you say, Joe? Uh, I would say most of the NFL offenses have a, a rooted in the West Coast offense at this point, um, and they have you know, branched out and then bringing in different concepts from the spread and air raid and things like that. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know specifically if I would say he's West coast, but he's definitely a lot of the Packers stuff they did was a lot of West coast stuff. So, um, he definitely probably has knowledge. So the, uh, the idea there is we've got three former quarterback coaches on the offensive side of the ball. Now dealing with a quarterback specifically, we've got these, West Coast influences around the coaching staff, I guess offensive line too, where you have those kinds of running running ideas that come from that West Coast approach. It's going to obviously be a West Coast at its roots, but they're hoping that the different coaching backgrounds brings them some diversification, which I thought was another interesting tidbit. 
Yeah, because if you're going to run a scheme, you don't want to be limited to, and this is one of the criticisms we've had of the Rams uh, since the Super Bowl, is that they were stuck in what they do and what they're rooted in. Uh, and maybe that's evidence of Zach Taylor, what he's saying, how he wants to be more dynamic even within a, a certain system here, being West Coast offense. Uh, that makes sense to me, and maybe that's something he's taking from it. Remember, the Bengals have run a lot of West Coast stuff. When Jay Gruden came, that's that was the big thing at the time, going from Bob Ratkowski to Jay Gruden's West Coast offense, that which which worked under John Gruden, obviously, with the Bucs, uh, and Brian Callahan, obviously, working under John Gruden last year, is going to bring similar uh, background. So uh, it makes sense to me, and it, should, it shouldn't be a problem for Andy Dalton to pick it up because he's probably run a lot of it before. That's true. He probably has run a lot of it before, especially under Gruden. A lot of those principles have been things Andy Dalton's familiar with. So we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, Paul Dater Jr. of the Cincinnati Inquirer today published a piece on what he would do in the offseason, and he starts with the defense this year. And he starts by saying four things, four steps for the defense. And the first is unequivocally cut Vontez perfect. He says that if he was Zach Taylor, he would have come out in that first press conference said, Thank you to the Brown family. Thank you to my family for all the support. Cincinnati fans, you're going to have to come to grips with this right now. I'm cutting Vontez perfect. Yeah, and I think we've discussed this, and probably every Bengal fan at this point has taken a side one way or the other. I was actually surprised since he jungle uh, had something recently, and just flicking through the comments, there was a lot of Vontez perfect supporters. It, it took me back a little bit that there still was because – He's been poor for a while now. It wasn't just last year. I mean, last year was dreadful in terms of him playing linebacker. Uh, but it's been a while. Uh, he's not a great athlete at this point, especially dealing with weight issues, knee issues over his career, injury-wise with concussions, neck stingers. I mean, all the off the field and on the field. And when I say off the field, I mean suspensions, not you know so much getting in trouble with the law. But uh, you know, there's enough evidence to say. Let's move on, especially when he voided the guaranteed money in his deal when when he was suspended last time. Uh, I think it's a no-brainer to completely wipe away the Marvin Lewis era and one of the biggest um, offenders left on the team is Vontaze Perfect. And that was Paul Daner's point, too. He says that essentially if you want to have this cultural refresh, this cultural restart, Perfect is your first stop in getting rid of the negative lingering remnants of the Marvin Lewis era. And it's hard to argue with at this point. From a financial perspective, it makes sense. As Joe said, there's no more guaranteed money there. It's a it's a dead cap free cut. And the production hasn't been there for the better part of a year. So it makes sense. You could reuse those funds in free agency to find a linebacker that fits better with the modern NFL. We've talked a lot about those options. Check out previous episodes of the podcast to hear who some of those guys might be. The second move for Daner is finding speed at linebacker. We just talked about that. We don't need to get into it further. It's the modern linebacker type. Again, listen to previous episodes of the podcast for who Joe and I think might be good options there. Then he says, re-sign Darquez Denard, emphasizing the importance of the slot position in today's NFL, pointing at Julian Edelman in the Super Bowl. And while I certainly agree that the slot corner is an, an increasingly important position, I don't know if Denard, at the amount of money he might make, 
is necessarily the right choice. He does come with familiarity, which is great. And maybe as a year one head coach, you're a little bit afraid of throwing in a new starter at corner. But they could probably do better for the amount of investment it would require to keep Denard around. Yeah, and that, that's really what it is, is what's his value? What is Where's the rest of the, of the league value him once free agency comes around? Uh, the Bengals overvalued, I think, Drake or Patrick. I don't want the same mistake to happen with Darquez Denard because of familiarity and knowing what you have and the development time you've put into Denard. Uh, but at the same time, if his money is right and if it makes sense for both parties, then I'm sure let's not create another need just because we want to haggle over a couple million dollars. They've done that before and it's, and it usually turns out not being worth it. Uh, so, and, and at this point, I think without getting into Denard, his strengths, weaknesses, and so on, because we're going to do that in the next segment when we talk cornerbacks and break that position down. Um, I'm still up in the air on whether or not he should be retained. The last point Paul Daner makes is that the Bengals should draft a defensive tackle. And we've talked about this with Ed Oliver quite a bit. The only difference, I think, for us and for Paul on this point is that we have a different rationale for it. So for Paul Daner, he's focused on Andrew Billings is a guy who is in his contract here. Do you want to devote big money to extending Billings? Even if you do, Geno's 31, and this isn't something Paul Daner mentioned, but I think for... For Joe and I, we're looking at Glasgow's coming off an injury. Gino's 31. Billings is very young, but has limitations. And he is improving, and I think we both like Billings as a rotational piece. Uh, maybe even your starter in your base defense, but he's not the pass rusher. So there is a, a needed defensive tackle. So Joe, any any other thoughts here? Only that you could shore up this position because I think part of the need at defensive tackle is a future need. And it may, while it may not be immediate, if Ryan Glasgow can return, you probably have three guys you can roll out there and rotate and feel good about in 2019. This need increases as we continue. Andrew Billings in the last year of his deal in 2019, uh, Geno Atkins aging, continuous, continue to aging. And even though he's under contract, you would like to start getting fresh athletic blood in there. Uh, because even with Billings and Glasgow, they don't have a natural three-tech pass rusher that can penetrate. Uh, even though Glasgow has played well, he's not that type. He's got to break the mold almost to be that kind of guy. And while I do like him, you know, he's there's he's got some things counting against him. So there is a need in the immediate. But they if they resign Billings now, they can um, secure some of that need for the future and extend him. And I think you should do it a year early because it's, he seems like the kind of guy that career is ascending he's still very very young he came he's a rookie at 20 years old if you extend him now you save a few million dollars a year probably and hopefully get him while he's just reaching his potential and he was the guy the Bengals got we think he was a faller in the draft so he was the guy the Bengals got at good value in the draft let's try to maximize that value while we can he might go out there and have another great year and then you're thinking man I should have resigned Billings you know yeah should have gotten that extension done early I think a lot of people liked him in the end of the first round. Most people thought high second round. And then when it, when it turned out he had a knee issue, uh, he dropped until the, the fourth round it was. So, uh, yeah, that's value there. And you could probably extend him early and, and give him a little chunk of money now and probably get him to, to, to sign early and, and just for that boost in salary. 
And we've talked a lot about Ed Oliver on this podcast. So one very interesting note I wanted to share with our listeners that you shared with me, Joe, is that there's talk of some teams working out Ed Oliver middle linebacker. And that just tells you something about the kind of athlete he is and the kind of rare player the Bengals might get if they were to draft him at number 11 this year. Yeah, Ed Oliver is an absolute freak. And isn't it fun to have freaks on your football team? Anyway, after the break, Joe and I get into the roster a little bit. This is going to be an ongoing series for the podcast as we get into the offseason. And we're going to start today by looking at, instead of starting at the quarterback position where you all expected us to start, we're going to start with the corners. So stick with us after the break and we'll get into the corners. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals podcast. We're going to start the series off where we look at every position on the Bengals and go through the depth chart, uh, age, salary, what we think of each player, just a real comprehensive breakdown of each position, uh, just to get a better understanding of, of how we feel about that spot heading into the offseason before free agency, before the draft really takes place. you got to feel comfortable with the veterans on the roster and we're going with cornerback first which can be a strength of the Bengals at time they have invested a lot of resources in it currently three first round picks under contract even though dark west denard is is going to be a free agent this offseason um the number one guy in terms of age and salary is drake kirkpatrick he is 29 years old he's in his seventh year making an average about 10.5 million dollars a year on the cap He signed through 2022. Uh, The next guy that they have to be concerned with is William Jackson, probably their best corner. I think everyone would agree with that. Uh, Going into year four, they're going to have to pick up his fifth-year option, being a first-round pick. Right now, an average salary of of $2.5 million, but that would definitely jump up. Uh, Definitely someone they're going to target to extend. After that, again, we got Darquez Denard, who is 27 years old. They're going to have to make a decision on if they feel he's worthy of a slot corner to be paid uh, on the contract those guys normally get in free agency, which can be anywhere between 6 to $9 million. So uh, that that is a big decision for them. After that, a bunch of depth players. They spent two fifth-round picks last year on corner, one being Devontae Harris, the other being Darius Phillips. Harris didn't get to play a lot. Both guys got three more years on their deal. Um, Darius Phillips did play, but it was a mixed bag. And then Two bottom-of-the-roster type guys, Kavari Russell and Tony McRae. Uh, Tony McRae being an, an exclusive rights-free agent. Uh, Kavari Russell still with, with another year on his deal. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it can be a good group. I think it could, you can end up creating holes and creating positions of need if they let Derek West Denard walk. Jake, what do you got? Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. There's an interesting mix of skill sets in that secondary, too. You have Dark West Denard, who is the by far best tackler of the group by far the most physical of the group yep easily your best contributor and run defense out of the secondary and you need that out of a slot corner i think in a lot of ways but his coverage numbers aren't quite where you want them to be if you're going to pay a premium amount of money to a slot player 
in terms of ball skills, William Jackson, clearly the best of the bunch getting regular playing time, easily the best in coverage, was a solid contributor in run defense but had tackling issues. As he's a bit of a smaller guy, sometimes the tackling wasn't quite there, but it wasn't as bad as Dre Kirkpatrick. So again, Dre is a guy, as we've said on this podcast before, in great position a lot of the time, doesn't find the ball in the air. He's also got the tackling issues, so in terms of the top three guys, there's an interesting mix of skills there. The bottom of the roster, people around Bengals Twitter, I think, were really excited for Kavari Russell, former third-round pick, you know, has the athleticism you're looking for. There's, There's a lot of hype, and he didn't really perform very well in his limited snaps. Tony McRae, on the other hand, and made... I think the most of his limited snaps for an, for an undrafted free agent type. And uh, then you had the two fifth round guys who are going to go into their second year and we'll see what kind of leaps they can make. See if any of them work out as developmental guys. So then there's a question of who takes over in the slot. If Darquez Denard is no longer on the Cincinnati Bengals, is that player on the roster? Last year we were looking at it and they were trying Darius Phillips there. They tried Tony McRae there. Neither of them really got great results. Joe, which guy do you think, if Darquez Denard isn't back, of the players currently on the team, takes over in the slot? Yeah, I thought Darius Phillips had moments. Um, he had some big mistakes, but also surprisingly better tackler than I expected from what I saw in college and being a former receiver. I think he is probably at his best on the boundary, or at least that's what he showed in college. I was surprised they wanted to put him in the slot, and it wasn't just because uh, Denard got hurt. I remember even in camp when I was down there, they were putting Darius Phillips inside. And I thought Devontae Harris, the other fifth-round pick, should be the guy going inside. He's got a stockier build, stronger build. Uh, I think he'd be better inside because you can play him a little bit at safety. Also, the Bengals typically, in their last defense, relied on those nickel corners to set the edge at times, really get physical in, against screens, and and be really a, a support run player. And Denard... Denard was really good in that role. So was Leon Hall. So the last few guys they've had have really done it well. Uh, I thought Darius Phillips was okay, but I really thought Devontae Harris would be the one they would use there. And instead, they they played him mostly on the outside in camp and preseason before he got hurt. He didn't get to play during the regular season on defense. So for me, looking at it, I think you would have question marks with the guys on the roster, even if they do keep Kavari Russell and Tony McRae. Uh, I would say you would be going in with a little bit of unknown at that position. For, but at the same time, looking at Darquez Denard, he didn't have a great year in coverage. Uh, he gave up a, lot, a large percentage of his targets in his in his area. I just don't think he has the quickness. Someone asked me recently, uh, an athletic writer, Kevin Fishbane, I think for Chicago, said, give me a brief scouting report on Denard. And I said, well, he, he's been consistent and reliable when healthy. But he, he, last year, he was a little bit thicker than previous years, which helped him against the run, maybe helped him stay a little bit healthier, even though he did hurt his shoulder against Juju Smith-Schuster and the Steelers. Uh, physical player, willing run defender, but just a tad slow covering the slot. And in terms of agility, acceleration, uh, change of direction, and long speed and ball skills. And I think these are all areas of weaknesses, and that's, that's a pretty significant group of weaknesses for a cornerback and especially a first round pick and a guy that's going to command at least $5 million a year. I don't feel comfortable with him on the boundary. I definitely think he's better in the slot, 
but I don't think I can match up man-to-man with him. If Now, if the Bengals are going to go to a more zone defense and allow him to move around a little bit and use his intelligence because I think he, he's really good at passing off routes and carrying routes uh, in zone coverage. And then maybe he's worth it a little bit more. But last year when they really went man-heavy, I think he was exposed a lot in the in the inside. So I think Darquez Denard is replaceable, very replaceable. I just think at the same time, I don't want to create a hole that doesn't need to be there. So a lot of it depends on how much he's going to get paid. He has also missed a lot of time for injury in his career, which for me begs the question of, is there more development there that you might get out of him? He's probably a finished product at this point, right? Like most guys aren't going to take major leaps on a second contract. In fact, right now, I can't really think of any non-tight ends that have gone on to make a big leap in their second contract. But there is some hope of that, I think, with him just because he has missed so much time with injury. And Denard was considered a a more finished product coming out of Michigan State. They're really well coached there with corners, uh, a man-heavy scheme. But at the same time, uh, his athletic testing was very average. And because of the deep speed and, and ball skills, I think you're going to be limited if you don't have those two things. And he, that was definitely why he didn't go higher. Remember the Bengals saying they had him number nine on their board or something like that. And I thought that was pretty crazy. Uh, I wasn't too fond of the pick. I thought he was more of a late first to second round player because of his limitations. So I do believe he's very close to his ceiling. And with that in mind, uh, he's 27 years old also. So he should be near his ceiling. And you're going to sign him probably for the next four years, if that's the case, until he's 31 years old. Uh, you better be sure of what you're getting. And I, I do think he is an easy evaluation. Yeah, so what you're getting then is most likely an average cover guy with pluses in the run support and physicality areas of his game. Uh, just to talk a little bit more about that, he was the most targeted Bengals starter on a per snap basis William Jackson was the most targeted Bengals corner overall but he also had 150 more snaps in the second highest amount of coverage snaps on the team and that was Drake Kirkpatrick Darquez Denard was third at 404 so Darquez Denard Drake Kirkpatrick both targeted more than William Jackson Denard a little bit more than Kirkpatrick when he's on the field he was targeted 64 times on his 404 coverage snaps which is once every 6.3 snaps. So he was somebody that opposing defenses, opposing offenses occasionally would pick on, uh, less so than the backups when Darius Phyllis, Tony McRae, or Kavari Russell were on the field. They were all targeted more. So you would expect that when a backup corner comes in, you'd expect opposing teams to, to kind of pick on those guys a little bit. And we did see some of that. But Denard... Gave up 48 out of his 64 targets as catches, which was the highest completion percentage out of any of those top three guys. And he gave up quite a, quite a bit of yards after catch, and you expect that out of the slot. And there were some big plays that went against him, I think, that we won't talk about right now to preserve our sanity. Uh, but there are some things, you know, that in coverage, there are some warts to his game. And, and like Joe says, you have to be careful about not overpaying there the way they did with Drake or Patrick. Yeah, and I think part of the problem is their scheme last year. Uh, if you, you look at the numbers, I don't have them directly in front of me, but they played middle-of-the-field open defense as much as anybody in the league and amongst the most. So they were begging for the passes to be thrown uh, over the middle, testing their linebacker safeties in nickel corner. 
And for anyone that's listening to this, if you didn't know that, you might go, what? Not Why would you do that with the Bengals linebackers, with their safeties, with, with the personnel they have? If anything, you want them to attack William Jackson and Drake Kirkpatrick. Now, pr- preferably, I want them to attack William Jackson and maybe funnel that coverage that way. But defenses know where their weaknesses are, and they try to take them away as best as possible. It seemed the Bengals almost did the opposite and wanted to not allow the big plays out on the outside, on the boundary, and that's why I think Kirkpatrick and Jackson had productive years in terms of um, targets per snap, receptions per per snap co- in coverage. So they looked really good, while Derek Wesnard and the linebackers looked really poor. And now some of that is because they were poor in coverage at times. But I do think there is an opportunity there to be much better and get better production out of those positions just by switching up the scheme. So we can end up with a getting a much better year out of Derek West Denard and the linebackers, but it's a different subject. Um, but a much better product, production year out of Denard just by switching up the scheme a little bit and helping him out, even though I do think the Bengals did help him by not putting him in man so often. There will be times where the outside corners are playing man and the Bengals have their linebackers and, and nickel corner playing almost a zone and and passing guys off that way in order to protect them and, and play a shell coverage over top uh, so that they wouldn't get beat deep. And all that really did was limit their defense. So uh, when I look at it, I graded these guys for the athletic last offseason, and I did a top 50 Bengals series. I had William Jackson graded really high. I'm, I'm very high on him. I think potential-wise he could be a shutdown guy with his ball skills, his deep speed. Uh, he's a little bit leggy at times. He's he's on the thin side, so he's not the most physical receiver, even though I think he has really good hands in terms of pressing and, and making contact and throwing receivers off their routes. Jackson can be a number one corner. I had him number five overall on the roster with a, with a 77 and a half grade, uh, which is very high. That's almost on the uh, the cutting edge of being a cornerstone elite type player. And I, I would agree. I think he's he's still in that range, even though he had a statistical step back from the previous season where he was flat out dominant. And then there is a, a decent drop off to Drake Kirkpatrick at a 71.3, which ranked him 20th on the roster. And I had Dark West Denard right behind him at 21 on the roster. And I still feel that is uh, fairly accurate to how I would feel about them. Uh, I think they're solid players and can be depended on in your scheme, but that leaves very exploitable weaknesses and both one of those guys, uh, and for me, for Kirkpatrick, because we haven't talked about him, he's got shorter arms, even though he's a taller corner. I think in the fifth percentile for arm length. So when you see him a lot of times, he ends up grabbing or reaching to, to press and make contact with the receiver because you want to make contact in a lot of plays. Uh, and he ends up leaning or being off balance. And he's not a, a tremendous athlete. So putting a long leggy guy off balance and then asking him to find the football leads to a lot of penalties and ugly ugly plays where he's in coverage, but that ball's landing right over his shoulder. And because of that, I think the perception of, of Kirkpatrick is a little bit low. But when you look at his numbers, he had a very productive year, and I think you should be able to rely on those two. Again, we're coming back to the scenario of let's not worry about those the outside corners and let's you know figure out what the Bengals have to do inside. And at what point, if they let Denard go, are we signing a free agent? Or should the Bengals go out and spend a decent pick, maybe second, third, fourth rounder on a corner? And it's probably some combination, right? Or maybe they bring in this new defensive coordinator and he feels good about the guys they drafted in the fifth round last year, about one of them playing in the slot and wants to roll the dice there. There are a lot of slot guys hitting the free agent market this year. 
And we've talked about what that might do to Denar's contract value or maybe an external free agent if they just find that they need to replace him. Uh, a couple interesting notes here. We talked a little bit about Dre's uh, ball skills and he did give up the, you said he may, maybe was underappreciated for this. He did give up the fewest or the lowest uh, completion percentage on throws into his coverage amongst the Bengals corners at 44%. He did, however, have those seven penalties we looked at at some point, uh, maybe off off air, which led the Bengals secondary. He had nine pass breakups, so according to Pro Football Focus, which was only one behind William Jackson. Yeah, and we talk about interceptions, and I... I talk about ball skills a lot. I wrote a whole article on the athletic about ball skills because I think it's many layers to it. When I was at the senior bowl talking to other guys and emphasizing my, my love for that trait, I expanded it even more. And um, Ted Wynn from the athletic also was talking about before the catch and after the catch ball skills, basically. And that's locating the ball in the air, um, tracking it, judging it accurately, knowing where it's going to land and being able to make a play on it at its highest point. I think William Jackson has that. Even though he didn't have any interceptions last year, he still has good ball skills. Where Drake Kirkpatrick struggles in that phase, where I think Kirkpatrick gets better, though, is maybe after the the second phase of, of ball skills here. Now, once the receiver's going for the ball, once it's near his hands or body, uh, you play the hands, or you can play the the far arm and knock that arm away. Like, think of the... The uh, McCourty played in Brandon Cooks in the end zone for the Super Bowl where he comes through. He doesn't attack the ball. He doesn't play the ball. He attacks the far arm. And at that point, once that arm gets unstable, uh, you can lose control of the football. And we saw it on that play. And I think that's where Kirkpatrick has his ability and where he makes his passes defense, where I think William Jackson is also good in that area. And then, of course, there is obviously playing the ball at its highest point, catching it, securing it. And not every corner has that ability or even the chance to do it in today's NFL. These back back shoulder throws, you can't even turn and look and make a play on these balls half the time. And um, I think interceptions are just down completely. If you look at the numbers over the last 15 years, they're taking a nosedive. So while you want to emphasize turnovers and get turnovers, they're not the biggest factor anymore when judging ball skills. Another interesting piece to talk about with corners is their ability to tackle and support in the run game, the screen game. Kirkpatrick and Denard, each with uh, 10 and 9 missed tackles, respectively. Sorry, Kirkpatrick and Jackson. Denard only missed 4. And in terms of the stop metric, which is a PFF metric that is based on the uh, offenses, the opposing offenses down in distance needed to make the first down, Darquez Denard had 23 stops. And Jackson and Kirkpatrick actually combined for only 20. So there's certainly some value there with Darquez Denard. He brings something that the boundary guys don't bring that you need to see from the slot guys. And then the boundary guys obviously have a different skill set that is valuable. Before we wrap this up, Joe, the guys that didn't play much, Darius Phillips, McRae, Russell, what are the traits that those guys hang their hat on? Is there anything special to call out there that we can look for next year? Yeah, I'll start with Darius Phillips right now. I have the highest grade on him uh, of the guys remaining. And for me, it's because of ball skills again. Former receiver, played a lot of zone in college, and he had 14 touchdowns. He caught one on offense, returned five kicks, a lot of fumbles and interceptions returned. Uh, He scores when the ball's in his hands. But I think, you know, just playing the ball in the air 
and attacking it, knocking it away, feeling comfortable when the ball's in the air, which is a big thing of ball skills also that I didn't mention earlier. That's where Phillips is, but he's not known for being a physical guy, a great tackler. Some of his combine testing was uh, a little bit under what we expected, and I, he looks like an athlete on tape, looks fast on tape, measured very average or in below average in a lot of areas. So I think that's what caused him to drop because he could have been a second, third-round pick, in my opinion, had he have uh, tested uh, in the way he looks on tape. So Phillips is the guy I'm most intrigued with. I thought Devontae Harris, coming from a D2 school, was also very intriguing based on the film we can get, which was only about three games. Uh, but a physical guy, willing tackler, and again with the ball skills. He had them, and they played a lot of zone coverage in, in college. And because of that, he is very um, – advanced in that portion of the game i really wanted to see him play more last year we didn't get that opportunity for me i think mccray is a more of an athlete smaller thinner guy uh his mental reps are where his mistakes happen most of the time i think of the antonio brown touchdown when the game against the bengals uh where he and and William Jackson are discussing and, and saying, basically, I've got the top guy, you've got the bottom guy, as we're as the receivers are stacking and Antonio Browns runs a slant, and McRae just carries his guy too far, never jumps on Antonio Brown, and it's 60 yards or whatever it was for the score to win the game. Uh, so for me, I think McRae is bottom of the roster type. We've seen his upside. He's hanging on by by a threat at this point. And Kavari Russell, I don't know what he's good at, to be honest. I, I was... Never high on him during the draft process, and he was taken in the third round. The Chiefs cut him that offseason. Uh, he's never really done anything for the Bengals to stand out in terms of a trait to hang your hat on. I think he's just mostly been a guy they've plugged in. He's given him a few snaps, and then he's been off the field. And as, at this point, that means you're probably just a special teamer, and I don't know if we should expect him to contribute anything now after it's been three years, right? And uh, we've really seen a very limited amount of time with with. Kavari Russell. And that, I think, wraps up our summary of the current Bengals corner position. As always, we can look for the Bengals to look at this position in the draft. It's something that is a cornerstone of Duke Tobin's approach to building a team. He believes in corners. We've seen him take them early. Well, a lot. There have been constant first round cornerbacks on the Bengals team they took two last year in the fifth round we'll see how they feel about them there's some question marks at this position and and I'm very curious to see how they get answered and you're probably curious about what position we'll cover tomorrow on the Lockdown Bengals podcast and we're going to do a two for tomorrow we're going to take two of the smaller positions on the team uh, and we're going to go with the specialists and the safety. So we'll finish up the secondary and we'll tack on the specialists because there's only four safeties to talk about. And the specialists only have a few points of intrigue. Hopefully we have a defensive uh, coordinator to talk about too. That'll come soon. And we're both excited for that news to finally break. Until then, have a good one, Bengals fans, and we'll see you next time. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 